podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. My name is Tiffany Mara, and I'm the director at CEW, and I'm really grateful to be able to talk to you today. Would you mind starting by introducing yourself and describing your path to U of M and your current work? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Casey Buffer. I am originally from Chicago. I attended the University of Michigan by way of a track and field scholarship. I was a long and triple jumper and sprinter, and I was fortunate enough to attend Michigan, as I mentioned, on a track scholarship and majored in sports management. It was a phenomenal experience. I, you know, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. It just, I loved the academic experience, I love my athletic experience, the friendship I've made are still very strong to this day. So Michigan has just been, you know, it's just very, very, very important in my life as well as my professional career. After I graduated Michigan, I pursued a master's degree in sports leadership from Northeastern University. And at the completion of that experience, I was able to receive a full-time position back at the University of Michigan within the athletics department. And so I worked at the university for about five years, four or five years, in the athletics department, as well as the Rossville business, doing some fundraising, as well as uh, developing leadership development programs. Life will have its way. And uh, I got married during that time. I got, got pregnant, and my husband received a job opportunity in Washington, D.C. And so when my daughter was about three months, we left Michigan and went to D.C., and I became a stay-at-home mom for two years. And during that time, was inspired to kind of pivot careers, just wanting to really become the best role model for my daughter. And so I pursued my MBA from Indiana University because we wanted to come back to the Midwest, which is where our family's from. My family's in Chicago. Uh, my husband's family's in Detroit. And so uh, that brought me to Indiana, where I had a you know, really great experience as an MBA student there, great learning, great internship opportunity. But one thing that I felt was missing was the lack of attention or at least a lack of emphasis on diversity and inclusion, especially when it came to the curriculum, as well as representation within the faculty. So a lot of that, my experience at at Indiana, really inspired the petition. Indiana is a public institution, as is U of M. Mm -hmm. Do you find Mm -hmm. it particularly important for DEI work to be integrated into public institutions? Oh, 100%. You know, I think with my role, having worked in higher ed definitely helped, and working at Michigan helped inform my opinion of diversity and inclusion at Indiana. You know, no university is perfect. However, I was at Michigan right when President Schlissel was creating like the master diversity and inclusion plan for the entire university. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to really see the importance of diversity and inclusion, not just as as a topic, as a means of increasing numbers or feeling inclusive, but the importance of every single department owning diversity and inclusion and making it to their department. And having been a part of the beginning, of that of that project, you know, I felt that Indiana too should be doing the same thing. And you know, I'm not sure exactly where Indiana is in, in terms of their overall diversity and inclusion plan, but I could speak to Kelly in that, you know, when I was there it was very much fragmented. It was very much kind of student led. A lot of students before me had pushed it and while I felt like they thought it was important, you know, I see it more so as within public education 
you're educating future leaders. You're educating those who are, you know, going to go out into society and not even just in the business sector, but in the in the uh, public sector, who are going to go do great things. And so we should be making sure that we're all up to speed on the history, the context, the implications of race and society and equity and inclusion so that we're better able to serve the society, especially when your funding is coming from state dollars. And so, uh, you know, it's always, it's huge and it should be important to every sector, um, but, you know, most certainly within public education. Sure. Yeah. What do you think would be a great first step of getting material into the curriculum? What topics would you cover? For sure. So I think history is, is important. You know, I, I don't think this is unique to Indiana, and I know that this is true at the, Michigan, the likes of Michigan and other universities across the country, but providing historical context to race relations in America is, is important. I think today you hear about marches, you hear about Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks or a lot of those big names, but you don't really know the story or the history behind why a lot of these movements started. And so understanding the why, understanding the challenges that many Black people, women, LGBTQ members face, I think it's really important for students, staff members to to really understand and get that context. I also think it's important because a lot of history repeats itself. And so, you know, for instance, racism might not look the same as it did, you know, back in the 50s during the Civil Rights Movement, it mirrors itself in other ways. And so I think understanding that history history is really important to inform how we can then impact change. I think talking about current organizations today that are doing the work, that are speaking out, that are impacting the community is also important and should be included in the curriculum. Again, a lot, a lot of people hear of the ACLU. Some people might be familiar with the NAACP, but there's a lot of other organizations within communities that are doing great work that should be highlighted and taught. And you know, their leaders should be brought in for speaker series and things of that nature. And, and professors and staff members and students should be educated on who the leaders and the future leaders are in the current movement for in the system of racial justice. And so I think history is a huge part that should be included, but also understanding, you know, the movement and what's being happening, what's happening today is, is very important. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned ACLU and NAACP. Um, what other orgs are you following mm-hmm. right now is really creating systemic change? Yeah, so I've I've been actually reading up on the color of change lately. I know that there's some they've done a partnership with the Billboard Association, so within the entertainment industry. I'm a proponent of Planned Parenthood, and I know that they then they just got a new leader, so they're going to be obviously rolling out a lot of key initiatives. Another organization, obviously the Black Lives Matter movement, is is a very huge movement. I think it's also important to understand there's a lot of a lot of organizations that are mimicking the Black Lives Matter movement to be cautious of who you follow, but the main the main movement is one that I follow. But also at the local level, there's a lot of bail fund movements that are out there. So obviously when the Minnesota, the riots were happening, the Minnesota bail fund was highly publicized, and I believe they raised millions of dollars. So I've been looking at them. Also within my own neighborhood in Chicago, there are bail funds out here. And I think every state has, you know, has a bail fund that, that seeks to bail out low-level offenders. And so I think those are some of the organizations that you know, I've been following, but also that you know, listeners could look into as, as ways to get involved. Yeah, what happened as a result of uh, you putting the petition into the world? Yeah, for sure. So I had an opportunity to talk to the, the faculty director of the chair, and they heard the feedback and decided to 
hire someone to create curriculum for their core, for the core curriculum, which is a mandated part of their curriculum. So this, this new faculty member will then not only teach on the history of race relations in America, but will also bring upon a case, um, a business case that will then talk about uh, the implications or just the challenges that black leaders and black businesses face place within this country. They're also, they've also committed to going through diversity, equity, and inclusion training amongst the staff and faculty members each year. And they have committed, committed to hiring someone to teach, to teach that curriculum. Uh, one of the, the feedback that I received in, in previous conversations when this topic was brought up was, you know, they weren't really sure that their faculty would feel comfortable or were trained to teach on this topic. So I felt it was, it was important to include that they actually bring on and hire someone to do so, so they committed to do that as well. So you had talked to them before, and now you brought it up again yep. through a petition. How many people signed the petition? Yeah, so in a week, we received over 2,500 signatures. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was huge. I, I honestly didn't expect that we would receive as much. I thought maybe a couple hundred, you know, my classmates would sign. But, you know, once I posted it on LinkedIn, I posted it within the alumni group, I, it started to, to gain a lot of traction. And I received a lot of messages, not just from my full-time program, but also from the students within the, the Kelly online program. And they even said, hey, can we be included in this as well? So I was able to include language that, that ensured that their program would be impacted as well. And I think that just kind of, it, it kind of grew on its own. And over 2,500 students, it was alumni who signed. It was faculty members, staff members who signed and, uh, who, and who reached out that said that they supported it and they were going to make sure that, that it was going to happen. So it was really great to see that I wasn't the only one who felt that uh, change was needed and the, the change needed to happen now. So it felt, it felt really good to have that that support behind me. Yeah, that's amazing. In one week, 2,500 signatures. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's huge. huge. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, very big. What do you think is different now versus last time you opened this conversation? Why are people listening and responding now in this moment? You know, unfortunately, but fortunately, I think COVID, people being at home, forces to deal with issues that maybe I think it's easier to desist, for lack of a better word, when you're at work and you're walking through the hallways and you got, you got to go to this meeting, you got to go this, to that meeting. And, and not to say that the meetings have decreased, but I think COVID has, has sat some people down and sat with issues down where, you know, they've had to think about kind of what's next. I don't think that the time that we're in, the killing of George Floyd obviously brought back a lot of conversations. It's not like this is the first killing, killing a black man by a police officer, but I think you add a pandemic, people at home, people not working, along with people being frustrated and mad and angry that we're still having the same conversation. I think organizations are forced to have the conversation. I also think that it's very different when myself, other students of color are raising the issue. I think that sometimes organizations can see issues as maybe only impacting one group. So if I raise my hand and say, hey, we need more uh, diversity with our cases, they might see it as an issue that only me as a black woman uh, face. However, you can't deny when over 2,500 people who are black men, women, you know, old, young, what, you know, different sexual orientations, you can't deny the, the, the voice of the mass. And so I think that you have this pandemic, you have the killing of George Floyd, you have over 2,500 diverse voices. You have to pay attention at some point. I think you have to address it. And it's public. Um, I think 
no organization wants to be caught left behind in the movement. And I think that, you know, creating the position and having it public also kind of forced Kelly's hand, for lack of a better word, again, to, to address it and to really, you know, make some meaningful steps towards change. For sure, diversity, equity, and inclusion, has def- there's definitely a trend. There's been, you know, more organizations have talked about it. They've hired more. You know, they say they want to do more. But I definitely think right now, if you're not doing something, if you're not having the conversation, I think employees and students uh, like myself are are not afraid to speak up. I think that, you know, I'm not the only student, an MBA student at the university to say, hey, like, what are we doing? I mean, students across the country, staff members across the country, employees across the country are calling out the organizations and say, you know, I see you're saying Black Lives Matter. However, I've had this experience or, I, or I've had that experience. So how are you going to rectify the situation? So I think this, this idea of being left behind is, you know, it's, it's very easy to get left behind. And because people are feeling, I have the courage and feel uh, more emboldened to speak out on injustices that, that they feel within their organization. How do mm-hmm. we ensure that when those pressures on society go away, that the systems continue mm-hmm. to be challenged beyond this unique period in history and that change yeah. continues so that this isn't just another cycle? It's not just another yeah, Rodney yeah. King to George Floyd, you know, 20 exactly. years later. You know, what can we do? You know, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of, you know, allies. I think courage is something that we talk about and we look at other people and say, wow, they're courageous. You you, you think about the, you know, to use a very big figure, the Martin Luther King, and be like, wow, he's a role model. He, he inspired a nation. But ultimately, you don't have to be Martin Luther King to bring about change within your community. It could be something as small as just saying, hey, this doesn't feel right, or I'm uncomfortable, or um, I don't like the way this looks, or this doesn't seem fair. I think just speaking up, uh, whether it might be on work, whether it might be on a PTA, whether it might be in a doctor's office, whatever, wherever you are, I think courage can look different for every person, and finding what courage looks like for you and continuing to do that is kind of what society needs. Um, you know, I, to create a petition against your university is, is not something that, you know, I thought that I would ever do, but it got to a point where I was just upset and fed up. I'm like, something needs to happen. And so I think people just need to get tired of being tired and just to continue speaking up, continue to have the courage and continue to find the people who share your same sentiments. It's more impactful and helpful if those people also don't look like you. You know, I have friends and we all have the very same sentiments about diversity and inclusion and we complain. And, you know, I think the administration will say, we hear you, we're listening. But again, when you have people who are coming from different backgrounds, who look differently than me, who have very, like different, unique experiences than me, I think it's very hard to ignore the diversity of voices. And so finding those allies, finding those people um, and connecting with those people to figure out how to bring about change together is, is hugely important. But I think courage is the biggest piece. I think it's easy. I think it's easier now to speak up because it is a national conversation, but when things are quiet again, when society is open back up, when, you know, everyone's going back to school and work, you know, how are you going to still find that courage within your, within your community? I think will be the challenge. And I think as long as we rely on our voice, our God-given voice, and finding, finding people that share our values, share our feelings and sentiments and sympathize or sympathize with us, 
I think we'll be okay as a society. I think it just it takes time and it takes it's not going to feel comfortable. It's not going to feel normal. It's going to feel really weird. But I think the the change is worth it. And I think we're starting to see that in society, just more people speaking up and speaking out. So hopefully, you know, once we get to some semblance of normal, whatever that looks like, I think it'll be a new normal. But I think just continue to find that courage and everybody has to find them for themselves. I think that'll be what, what society needs today. This is kind of an odd question. I'm going to, you know, we'll see how this goes. So I'm noticing that (laughs) I'm noticing that there are particular segments of the population right now where guilt is overwhelming them, historical guilt around racism and their identities. What would you recommend to them as far as how they can get to that point where they can be empathetic, where they can enter into the conversation, where they can share their voice and become allies? You know, it's, I have a friend who was texting me nonstop right when George Floyd was murdered. And he was like, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? I don't know what I should do. And and you could tell, like, I don't know if it was guilt or he just felt like he needed to do something. But he, you know, there was a sense of urgency. And having grown up in, you know, predominantly white environment, I, I, you know, I have friends who will be like, I'm so sorry, or I apologize. Or, I think the biggest thing is, is for me personally, and I can only speak for me, is you don't have to apologize for, for history. I think it's important to acknowledge history. I think it's important to acknowledge where we are. But I don't think that it's on the onus of a, I'm 32, so of a 32-year-old person who's white, it's not on the onus of them to, to own slavery in America. That is that is the, the America's sin, not that individual person's sin. And so I think it's important, number one, to, to, to acknowledge it and not necessarily carry that burden, but to also do do the work, to do the work. So the work looks like self-reflection. You know, where are your biases? Everyone has a bias. Even as a Black woman, I have my biases. So I think, number one, you have to check your biases and understand what those are, uh, what it looks like, how it shows up. And I think a person can do that by asking their friends um, around them, like, you know, are there times or instances where I have spoke on a line where I've treated someone differently that I shouldn't have? But also ask their friends or colleagues, you know, have you seen me exhibit behavior that might be considered uh, biased or racist or, or whatever that might look like? I think that step one is acknowledging your bias. I think step two is just you know understanding history, understanding the context. There's tons of books out there right now. You know, I was trying. I just bought a Kindle and I was trying to like download all these books at the library. And all, there's a wait list for every single book out there that deals with race and racism. But get your library card, you know, buy the book on racism, on what it means to be anti-racist, buy a book about about what it means to be an ally, you know, talk to people. As I mentioned, you know, not not only important to ask your your colleagues, your friends, kind of what your biases are, but also ask people what, what are their experiences. You know, I think it's important. A lot of people don't understand that black people, women, you know, being your minority group has faced some form of, uh, of bias in their life. Yet a lot of people don't know that it exists. And so, you know, just asking them, how have you experienced this within this country? But asking them how I can be an ally for you. I think instead of thinking about it on a very broad level about how to, you know, how to change the world as one person, you can change someone's life by just standing up for them in the meeting. Uh, you can change someone's life by standing up for someone in a grocery store. So just understanding and getting to know other people that look differently, that act differently uh, than you, I think it's really important to become an ally and, and to maybe release some of the guilt felt. felt. But I think it's, it's, it's very important to, to not own the, the sins of this country, but to, 
to understand, to understand it, and then to do better by checking yourself and, and, and building a community around yourself where, where then you're held accountable, but also that you can then become an ally. Yeah, that's great guidance. Just want to point out the obvious here that you did the petition. You've been doing this advocacy work all during the pandemic that we're all experiencing. Yeah. How did you build up the energy? How did you manage self-care in the past yeah. four months? And, you know, how have the past four months personally affected you? Yeah, so <laughs> it's very good. It's a question I've actually been pondering lately. So I'm, I'm actually pregnant right now, five months pregnant. And, Congratulations. Uh, to be, thank you. <laughs> so to be pregnant, to find out you're pregnant a week, literally a week before society shuts down while finishing your master's degree during civil unrest is it's definitely a unique time period. Not to mention I'm moving and I'm, you know, getting ready to start a job and things of that nature. And so, you know, I've really struggled with self-care, I would say, because I have, I have a natural tendency to to be, you know, biased towards action. Um, you know, I want to do something. I want to change something. I got to do something. But one thing that I'm learning is that for, you know, the betterment of me, the child that's in me, my four-year-old daughter and my husband is that you know, I have to take care of myself. And so, you know, I try to find quick moments, whether it's 10 minutes in the morning before I get up where I'm reading my Bible app or at the end of the night reading a murder mystery book that I like to read or watching a TV show. But, you know, I often wreck my brain on like, hey, see, I should be doing more to take care of myself. I and mean, I'm probably not the best person to ask. But I think for me, self-care has, has really been about, you know, stepping away from social media stepping away from the internet and just going to the park with my daughter, walking around the neighborhood, talking to my husband, running around the house with him, just playing and joking. I find joy in family time. And so that's really been my, my saving grace. We just found out the gender of our child. So finding clothes and starting to decorate rooms and stuff has been a little, or at least thinking about how to decorate has kind of taken my mind off of things. But it, it's been hard because, so much work that needs to be done, but at the same time, um, you know, work can't be done unless, you know, you're whole and you're full. And so, you know, I've been trying to, you know, read and watch a TV show or just spend time with my family over the past few months just to kind of take my mind off of things and really rejuvenate my spirit. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard from many people that they're binge watching different content, whether it's podcasts, TV shows, books, or other things. You know, have yeah. you found yourself binge watching anything? <laughs> Netflix seems to be very uh, popular right now. <laughs> yeah, Netflix is very popular. I, you know, I'm completely off topic. I watched this really cute romantic movie. Um, I think it's called like "You'll Always Be My Maybe." It's like such a teen romantic movie, but it was so funny. And like, I don't, I don't, I probably wouldn't have watched it on a regular case, but I just needed something to take my mind off of the world. So that was really fun. You know, I, I'm a huge, like, as I mentioned, a murder mystery person. Um, I'm a huge law and order fan, but like, given kind of the state of the, the country, like I will binge, but I'm like, it's, it's like irking my brain. Cause I'm like, ah, like I shouldn't be watching this. Like I'm, I'm advocating for one thing yet I'm still like watching and supporting another thing. So that's been a little bit of an internal battle, but I, you know, literally I try to like turn off the TV um, and try to just go outside and though most things are closed down, you know, we'll walk, uh, we're in Chicago, we're right a couple blocks from the lakefront. So we'll go outside and walk on the lakefront or I'll just FaceTime my friends and family. So I, I find comfort and doing that more so than, you know, binge watching a show because 
and I feel unproductive, even though it's probably helpful. But I'd rather talk to a friend or family or go outside than, than you know, loud in my couch. Sure, yeah. yeah. You mentioned that you're about to start a job. What's next for you? In September, I will be starting a strategic leadership program at Discover Financial Services within their Chicago. So really excited about just the opportunity to, uh, number one, get back in the workforce. I, I haven't worked full time in four years since giving birth to my daughter. So that will be that will be a journey. But also look forward look forward to, to figuring out, you know, how I can be a catalyst for change within the business sector. You know, I think business school is different than actual business and especially a large business like Discover and within the financial services industry. So I look forward to finding a way to have an impact not only on Discover, but also you know, utilizing Discover and how they can impact the, 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 their community and society as a whole. So looking forward to, to that as well. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad they have yeah. you to create change. I have no doubt you're going to you know, have a huge impact on the company. Appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. I'm trying to end on a positive note or something inspirational. Yeah. Would you have a, an inspirational thought or quote you'd like to share? Ooh, that's a good one. So I would just say, I'll, I'll go the, 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 the thought route. I think change sometimes looks really scary because I said that there's a lot of work that needs to happen. There's a lot of change that needs to happen. But if everyone's focused on one thing in their community, one thing in their life that they felt that they could change, and again, this could look like something that happens within their classroom, something that happens within their child's classroom. This could be you know, something that happens in the community if you're a part of a community organization, changing something to make it more inclusive or equitable for, for another group of people. We all have the power to change, I and mean, change doesn't have to be really big for it to be meaningful. But change can, can be something as simple as pulling up a chair for another person to sit at the table, raising your hand and speaking up um, for someone else, or not speaking up to give space for someone else to speak up. I think everyone, and I encourage everyone to find how you can bring change where you are. Realizing that if we all bring about little changes in, in our society, then as a whole, as a collective, our society will be in a better place. So. I would just leave leave off on that, that we can all bring about change in little ways and you know, change in a little, in a million different little ways brought together brings about change in, in our collective society. Yeah, I love that because it makes it feel possible. It makes it feel yes. possible to enter Very into the possible. conversation and to enter into seeing yourself as a change maker. Casey, exactly. I am so grateful for your time. You're completely inspirational. Thank you. Um, I hope we have a chance to talk again at some point. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi. Thank you.